0: If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Acts, chapter 8, we're continuing our series here. If you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the text up on the screen for you. If you don't own a Bible at all, we'd love to give you one. You can go to the Commons, which is the bookstore in the middle of our campus, and uh, just walk in there and said, hey, Paul said I could have a free Bible, and they'll give you one. Uh, if you'd rather look at it online or, or on your phone or on your iPad or whatever, Uversion is an incredible app that you can use um, to have that and take that with you wherever you go. So Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be in the section 26 through 40 today, and so let's just read this, and then we'll ask God to help us uh, kind of understand. Verse 26, chapter 8, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and when and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, the Ethiopian answered, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. For who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road... They they came soon to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns. He came to Caesarea. Let's pray and just ask God to help us with this this morning. Father God, we love you and we thank you, God, that you allow us to gather together in this place, Um, God, a place where we have much freedom and safety and security. God, we think of our brothers and sisters who even this morning, God, lost their lives in Egypt. God, we pray for your mercy on their families. God, we pray... um, God, for your mercy on us as well, because so often we can approach this time where we gather together um, so casually, so cavalier. God, sometimes we even complain about having to come here. God, you've afforded us so much, and so God, would we not take it for granted this morning? God, would our hearts um, be full of gratitude, thanksgiving, thanksgiving, For you and what you have done. Not just what you provide, God, but for who you are. Holy Spirit, I just pray that as we work through the scripture, that you would bring illumination and revelation. I pray for a covering and anointing and a filling. God, I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word this morning, but God, that we would be changed and we would do what you've commanded us to do. Jesus, this is always and only about you for your name your honor and your glory. We pray these things and ask for these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I uh, I love stories of kind of ordinary people who do extraordinary things. The seemingly insignificant people in the seemingly insignificant moments, but they go on to have this ripple effect throughout all of human history, and we love these stories, we read books about these stories, we make movies about these stories, and I think one of the reasons that we love this is because what it does to us is it gives us a hope that maybe our kind of ordinary lives could have some kind of extraordinary meaning or significance. And Tim talked about this a little bit last week at the close of his sermon. He was saying, you never know what God might do through the opportunities and through the relationships and through the places that he allows us to walk in our lives. And what God is calling us to live or to live these lives of availability and of mobility. If we were to quote Isaiah To say, Lord, here I am, send me. Um, I I think I've told the story in here about a woman named Rose Neff. So Rose was a volunteer at Troy Baptist Church, and one of the things that Rose would do as she volunteered for this church is she would go through these different neighborhoods, and she would go from door to door through the neighborhoods, and she would knock on those doors, and she would invite children and families to come to Sunday school or something like a vacation Bible school, and uh, she would go and knock on all these doors, and then the next day, all the kids and all the families who said, yeah, that sounds like something I'll do, they would... would, uh, come and get on the school bus that Rose would be in and she would drive through the very same neighborhoods that she went for for the day before and they would get on the school bus with Rose and they'd go to Sunday school or vacation Bible school and and there they would hear stories about Jesus and they would learn songs about him, they would get these coloring pages that had Bible verses on them and um, one of those homes that Rose knocked on was my home. And through that invitation to ride on that school bus for Vacation Bible School, my entire family came to know Jesus. And and in fact, one Sunday, uh, my parents, who were not yet Christians, they jumped on the bus with all the kids and rode with all the kids to church just to check out kind of what this was all about. And my dad later went on to serve in that same ministry at that church and at other churches. And I would ride the bus with him, and we'd go into some of the poorest neighborhoods in our city and invite those kids to church who'd have no opportunity really to get to church otherwise. Never experienced that before, and they'd ride around with us ride to church and pick them up and drop them off. In fact, the, the church that he and my mom are at right now, he still kind of serves in a capacity where he is providing transportation for people to get to church who, who don't have the way to get on their own. And I tell you that story because of that simple act of obedience and faith by a seemingly ordinary woman. My three sisters and I were raised in a home where my parents loved Jesus, where they taught us the scriptures. They kept us connected to a local church, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, Thursday evening visitation. Hashtag Southern Baptist. (laughs) And, and, And they're still in love with Jesus and his church today. In fact, one of those kids became a pastor. It's me. And, and, and who, who knows? Like, like, who knows? Because even in the 13 years that I've been able to be a pastor and have been able to serve kids and students and college students and young adults, I mean, I mean who knows, who knows what God is doing in their life and who they're able to influence and impact and love for the sake of the gospel. I know one of the kids who was in my college ministry is now a student pastor at a church in Georgia, and who knows how many kids he's able to serve and love and share the story of who Jesus is. And, and the whole point of that, and I think what we're going to learn in a really powerful way in the book of Acts, is that you never know what God can and will do through a seemingly ordinary act of faith and obedience. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Son of God, he's ascending into heaven. He looks down at his followers and he says, look, you're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then the past seven chapters of this amazing book, we've seen the gospel go forth in power in Jerusalem. The church is born and, and thousands of, uh, uh, of people come to know the Savior in, in Judea and that Jewish community there. But now we're in Acts chapter 8 and we're going to watch this good news of Jesus that's going to jump these ethnic bands and and barriers and it's going to spread out into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And God is going to accomplish his incredible mission in the world through a man named Phil. Remember Phil from Acts chapter 6? Phil's in charge of bread distribution to the widows in Jerusalem, technically Stephen was in charge of bread distribution. Phil was assistant to the manager of bread distribution in Jerusalem there. He would have been promoted, but his boss was killed, and then the church scattered. But 50% of the great commission from King Jesus and that, that he lays out in Acts chapter 1 is going to be accomplished, and it's going to happen through the assistant to the manager of bread distribution, a guy named Phil. In verse 26, this angel of the Lord comes to him and says... I want some place that I want you to go. Now, you can read this story, and if you're kind of uncomfortable with this subject and you're just looking for an excuse of why this won't apply to you, you could. You could you could stop right there and you could say, well, okay, an angel of the Lord went to him and told him to go. That's never happened to me. And I, you know what? It's never happened to me either, and I don't know exactly what that looks like, and I can't fully kind of explain that to you, but I can say this, that if you as a requirement to obey God, need the angel of the Lord to show up in your bedroom to tell you what to do and where to go, then God have mercy on you. Because God's very clearly told us what it is that he desires from us in his word, and he speaks to us through his spirit still today. But the point is here is that God is directing him and that Philip is listening to God's direction. Now, Philip, you got to understand, he had to walk about 165 walk, 165 miles to get there. So next time you complain when you're on your short-term trip, you know, you just think about how that conversation in heaven is going to go with Philip. God says, go to Gaza. The scripture says that's a desert place, meaning there's nothing there, which means it makes Eloy, Arizona, look like the state capital. No offense if you're from Eloy <laughs> visiting with us today. Welcome. <laughs> Gaza is a, is a Philistine city, so it's got that working against it had been destroyed in about 90 B- B.C., and God tells Philip, look, I want you to leave all your friends. I want you to leave Samaria, where the revival has broken out in Samaria. I mean, that's like the spot to be. He says, leave everybody you know. Leave the place where all the action is. Walk 165 miles to the middle of nowhere. Philip says, all right, I'll go. Now, a lot of times when we think of international missions, we think about, let's work for kind of like the special forces of Christianity. Did you know that the word missionary never even shows up in the Bible? We made that word up. But it does talk about the sent ones. It appears frequently in the Bible, and it applies to every follower of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And you see the call to salvation and the commission into service for the Great Commission, it happens in the same moment. In other words, your involvement in missions is not something that you do later, like it's something that you graduate into or like it's a level that you achieve. God put it in the original call to follow him. And right now, the guy who drives the bread truck is about to change the world for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's meant to encourage you that God will use everyday normal people for eternal impact for the sake of his name. God wants to accomplish the extraordinary through ordinary people like you and like me to spread his fame around the world. And for some of you in the world, and for some of you in the room right now, this is what you wanted to hear today. And, and you got enough as it is. You're like, yes, okay, I got something to do. I'll see you. I'm out. I'm Monday morning, I'm going to hit the ground. Some of you... This is really stressful. And, and, and I get it. I, I understand how it's easy to get excited in rooms like this, right? And in and, and rooms like this where one of the professionals is talking about taking Jesus to the world, right? We put up slides, we put up videos. We got places like Bush, Alaska, like take Jesus to the, to the rural villages of Bush, Alaska. Awesome. We put up videos of Ethiopia. Take Jesus to Ethiopia. That's great. Make an, make an impact in the, in the life of an orphan or in the life of a, of, of a prisoner. And you just sit there and you're like, yes. Go get him, Paul. God bless you. When you hear a story about someone else going, or someone else investing in the world, you cheer him on. But when the time comes where we stand up here, one of us, and we say, you need to be a witness in your neighborhood need to be a witness in your office. You need to be a witness in your classroom. We smell brake dust all over the room. Gears start locking up. You have a thousand reasons why you can't, why you are the exception, why your situation is different, why it's too expensive for you. And I get it. I'm not up here because I've got this completely wired Uh, Because I have this amazing track record of being the the most bold gospel proclaimer out there. The the, the summer I became a Christian, I worked for this Christian camp. And part of uh, my job was I would take uh, junior hires and high school uh, students on what we called open air evangelism. And I'd put like a dozen kids in a 15-passenger van, and we'd drive to places like downtown Tampa or maybe like a mall or something. And so on one of these trips, um, I took all these kids to the to the mall, and I had these two guys with me. I think they were like freshmen in high school, and we're kind of walking around, and we had these pamphlets called tracks. And they were like little stories of trying to keep you from going to hell, and we were supposed to hand them out to people or just litter. And... uh so I've got, you know, kind of a handful of these tracks, and we're walking around the food court, and we were supposed to, you know, kind of bomb in on people eating their noodles, be like, do you know where you'd go if you died right now? You'd go to hell. Ugh. And so we we didn't really, we were awkward, and um, we were just kind of cruising around and I'm with these two guys. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know what to say or didn't know how to even start kind of talking to someone. And then, like, just kind of just across the way, um, there was a a, a a girl that I went to college with and her friend. And I was like, oh, man, she's going to see me and she sees me. And She walks right up. Right? And she hadn't seen me post-college, has no idea, became a believer um, and really no evidence prior to, you know, convict me of being a believer. And uh, she's like, Paul, what are, how how are you? What are you, what are you doing here? And I just froze. And I got like these sweaty pamphlets in my hand with like a picture of a guy burning on them and (laughs) just kind of hid those. And These two guys, you know, with me, who they've never been within three feet of a woman other than their mom, they're like, "Ah, this is great!" <laughs> and I don't—I I honestly can't even tell you what I said. I think I just said something like, "It's like I'm just here." I have I don't know, and eventually she probably thought I was having like a silent seizure or something. She just walked away. I, I honestly have no idea how the conversation ended, but I remember the end of it, and I just was absolutely crushed, broken. And I mean, the rest of that afternoon, I just kind of wandered the mall, and I just was sick to my stomach. And then later on that night, you know, we go back and there's this big rally where everyone gets together and when they talk about all their kind of victory stories, you know, one guy's like, I led four people to the Lord, you know, and someone's like, Revival broke out in the gap. I was right there, it was amazing, you know, and I'm thinking, Oh and I just remember kind of sharing testimony of how I completely froze. I just completely blew it. I'm I'm a little bit better than that now. So I get it. I, 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 I get the fear, but none of that fear changes these facts. And, and, and first of all, all of us deep inside want to live a life that really makes a difference. And the message of Jesus is the most important message on the planet. And God works through everyday people like you and like me to accomplish his purpose and his plan in the world. And so I understand the fear. I know the fear is real, but there is a truth that is more important than our fear. And so, church, we've got to figure out if we have the greatest message, if we carry the world's greatest message that satisfies the world's greatest need, how are we going to carry that good news? And Philip shows us how. In verse 27, he goes, he runs into this Ethiopian now, today, Ethiopia is a relatively small country, but in that day, Ethiopia was basically everything in Africa that was south of the Nile River. Some ancient texts would say that this was the end of the earth. So, where did Jesus say that the gospel was going to go to? The ends of the earth. So, Philip gets up and he goes, no pushback. I mean, I get when I look at Philip, I, there's a sense of kind of readiness that he has, which begs the question of me and begs the question of you. Do we? Do we have that sense of readiness? When, when you enter a, a room, Monday morning, wherever it is that your Monday morning takes you, will you go to that place with the thought in your mind that I am an ambassador for King Jesus when I go to this place and when I go to these people? Do you ever pray for opportunities to start conversations about Jesus? Is that a regular thought that you have? Is that a regular prayer that you have? God, today, whoever I interact with, whoever I, uh, I bump into, God, would you just create an opportunity for me to start a conversation about you with them? Uh, two weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go uh, and, and preach in this prison in California City, which I, I wish I had a whole sermon in and of itself just to talk about my experience here because it was absolutely incredible. Um, but before I got up to preach, I was sitting next to this guy. and This guy was just massive. He was like six five. 265. If you ever seen the Green Mile, he looked like that cat from the Green Mile. And I'm sitting next to him, and he's got big old hands. He's got his Bible out, and it's open to Ephesians chapter 4. And he's kind of looking at this passage. He points to it, and he says, um, he points to the word evangelist. And, and he said, uh, that's me. God, That's what God has called me to be, an evangelist. I was like, well, I reckon people will listen to you, man. And uh, And I I just asked him, I said, like, I think that's great. I said, "What's that look like for you here, like in your context? Like, what's what's that look like? And he said, well, every day when I wake up and until my head hits the pillow, I just pray, God, who do you want me to talk to and what do you want me to say? God, who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to say? God, give me someone to talk to. Give me something to say. Give me someone to talk to. Give me something to say. And I mean, I just, my heart was just like, I felt like I had just been, ugh. And then I had to get up to preach, and I was like, <laughs> what am I even doing here? But do you ever have just that prayer? Do you ever have even just that thought? Like, God, you have somebody for me to talk to today, and you've got something for me to say This Philip here, he runs into this Ethiopian who just happens to be the CFO of Ethiopia. One of the most important African roles by Philip. Philip doesn't know this. It's not like God gives him the plan. God doesn't lay it all out for him, which, by the way, is how God works. Philip just knows I'm on this road. There's that chariot. I got to go talk to that guy. The scripture says he's a eunuch. He was castrated because he works with the queen. They didn't want any nonsense going on says he he was going to Jerusalem to worship, which meant that for whatever reason he's interested in learning about God. In verse twenty nine, he's got to go talk to the chariot. The scripture says. Now, when I've heard this story or seen it on the flannel graph, I, I've always thought kind of like the Ben Hur kind of chariot thing, but. Really, what this would have been more like is it would have been kind of like a carriage or like a big couch. And there would have been uh, about eight guys who would have been carrying this couch that the eunuch was riding on. Now, that's important, and and I'm going to tell you why it's important in just a second. This journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem is about 1,200 miles. So these dudes carried him for about 1,200 miles. And then in verse 30... We, we see Philip roll up to the chariot and Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch answered, he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And then this is the kicker, especially if you're carrying the carriage. And then he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Those guys are thinking, man, now hitchhikers, this is a little too much. Here's, here's why that scene right there is really important. Because as I start to talk about, hey, we need to have these conversations and enter into these conversations where we're sharing the gospel, talking about how Jesus is, the, the number one kind of pushback from everybody, and my pushback too, is that, well, isn't that going to be awkward? And the answer is yes. But I think what we're kind of learning here is that you just have to kind of embrace this, this awkwardness. There is a reality that people want to talk about spiritual things, but it's tough to get the conversation started. So, what you need to have as kind of regular rhythm of your prayer is to pray, God, give me the opportunities, but then give me the confidence to speak. And it's been said from this pulpit lots of times that if you know that you have a relationship with Jesus, you know enough to talk to somebody about Jesus. But just pray, God, create the opportunity, create the conversation, and give me confidence to walk in that. I also know that there's people in the room, and you'd say, Look, I'm not even a Jesus person, so why would I care about trying to make Jesus famous in my world? Why would I even care about having this conversation with anybody? Well, first let me just say to you, continue to sit with us. Continue to sit with us and hear uh, with us uh, and experience with us what it is that makes our hearts burn the way that they do and, and what it is to, to say all of my life really is all for Jesus. The second thing that I would say to you is that it could be that the same thing that was happening to the Ethiopian eunuch could be happening to you. God was disrupting and preparing his hearts with thoughts about life and God and and purpose. This was not a random encounter in God's economy. And your presence here, whoever invited you here, that wasn't random either. It could be that God is trying to get your attention. Now, this story about Philip and the Ethiopian, it's not about the practice or the technique of how to share the gospel. It's about the perspective that we are supposed to have regarding God's call in our life. We see earlier in in Acts here that, that Saul is ravaging the church. Saul's going from house to house. He's throwing Christians in prison. He's persecuting them. And Christians scatter. Now that part makes sense to us. But the next part doesn't because the text says they continued to proclaim Christ. And Philip is one of them. So he has this perspective that says, I'm an ambassador of the king. He believes that he exists to announce the king's message. Philip believes he was put on this planet to be a herald who would announce the arrival of the king with the authority of the king. And the truth is, that's how the whole early church saw themselves. They saw themselves in every context as an announcer, an ambassador of the king. So think about that. Wherever God has put you, whatever circumstances he has put you in, whatever relationships he's put you in, whatever geographical place he has put you in, He gave you the identity of announcer and ambassador of the king if you're a follower of Jesus. And and that identity for the church, it gave them a clarity and a confidence, particularly because they knew that their king who had sent them, who they were speaking of, their king ran the universe. And so when you get confused about why on earth you live where you do or why on earth you work where you do, or are around the people that you're around, or why you play where you play. Your identity as an announcer and ambassador of King Jesus clarifies your purpose in the place that God has put you. And when you get clear there, then you start to realize, I don't have time to be distracted. I don't have time to be disgruntled because God has given me something very particular to do. And there are people all around me who, hear, who need to hear this gospel message, this good news message of who Jesus is. And they need to know him in a very real and powerful way. And it could just be that God has put you where he has put you, with who he has put you with, so that you would speak those words of life and truth to those people in that place. You see, the early church, they kept on preaching even when they were scattered because they believed that their persecution w- was to be used for the proclamation of King Jesus. Your persecution, your suffering is not wasted. It's to be used for the proclamation of King Jesus. And church, if you can just get crystal clear about this identity If you can zero in on this identity, it will create confidence in your calling, it will create clarity in your purpose, and it will create compassion for people, because that's what we see in Philip. So you have to ask yourself, am I willing to be used of God? Maybe, Maybe you've never even asked yourself that question, am I willing to be used of God? And if you could say, I am, I'm willing to be used of God, then the next question is, do you embrace the possibility that God wants to use you in your particular context? And if you say yes to that question, then that's got to mean something somewhere. So the, the eunuch in verses 32 to 34 that is reading from Isaiah 53, and that prophet wrote about Jesus about 800 years before his birth, and all of the things that he wrote about Jesus all came true, and Philip knows this. And I think one of the reasons that the eunuch was kind of reading through this passage is, that, and that one of the reasons that he really wanted to know is because he travels all the way to the temple. And there was a sign outside the temple that said, no lame, no blind, and no eunuchs may enter here. Well, he wasn't allowed to worship in the temple. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 56, the scripture talks about the foreigner who's welcomed in. In fact, in verses 4 through 6, just a few chapters down from where the eunuch was reading, Isaiah 56, 4 through 6 says this Let the eunuch no longer say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who embrace my covenant I will give you in my house a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It's important to note when Philip begins to have the conversation with the Ethiopian um, that in verse 30, he leads in with a question. Do you understand what you're reading? He, he leads in with a question, not with a sermon. I think a lot of times we kind of get that the other way around. I mean, the conversation, it can be awkward, but it doesn't need to be needlessly awkward. Philip doesn't roll up to him and say, hey, Ethiopia's hot. You know what's hotter? Hell. And you might be going there, right? He doesn't do that to him. Start with this prayer. Lord, help me be genuinely interested in this person because I know you are. Lord, help me see this person the way that you see them. Help me feel the same way about this person that you feel about them. Help me listen to them the way that you would listen to them. Help me speak to them the way that you might speak to them. Because you see, Philip's interest in kindness purchases him the right to be a guide. You earn the right to speak the truth in someone's life when they feel that you love them. When you can listen to people... Truly listen to them. And when you can show them how the sacrificial lamb of God intersects with their point of suffering, you will speak true life to them. You will love them and you will display the beauty of Jesus to them. But here's the thing. You have to speak. We we talk a lot about relational evangelism. And and I'm I'm on board. It's great. I think it's great. Have the relational. But have the evangelism. At some point, you have to speak the answer that they need. You have to listen so that you know the truth. And you have to care enough to love them in that. And you have to speak the truth. You have to speak the truth that Jesus took your place on the cross to pay in full the debt of your offense and rebellion against a holy God and that he is Lord over all of your life. Philip speaks that. And it changes the world. The The, the ancient historian... Um, Eusebius says that this eunuch went on to plant one of the first churches in Africa. Africa is one of the places, by the way, where the, where the church is growing the fastest today. Now here's, here's the point as we kind of end. This message is not just for the spiritually elite. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, this is for somebody else. He's talking to somebody else. I'm not. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. And Luke goes out of his way in this book to show us how the gospel was spread around the world by laymen way faster than it was by the apostles. Consider that God has put you in a context to listen to, to love, and to speak to people that your pastors will never get to speak to. There are places that you go, there are rooms you're invited in, there are meetings that you're in, there are relationships that you have that your pastor will never have. From the classroom to the boardroom, God has ordained your place in this world so that you might bring the message of hope and life to your world. And God in his sovereignty, he just happens to give us church this message on this week leading up to Good Friday and Easter. Tim said it a couple weeks ago, 96% of the people who don't go to church would go if they were only invited. Only 2% of people actually invite. What a perfect way for us to test this out. This week, invite somebody, Good Friday, invite someone to Easter. My my friend Tyler, who's one of the pastors at Redemption... him and I used to go study at this restaurant in Chandler and we kind of would sit in the same section and usually got the same waitress and over time kind of got to know her and hear her story and stuff. And uh, she started telling us that uh, she started to go see this psychologist and um, her co-workers were kind of making fun of her and, you know, they would say to her, why do you go and pay someone to tell you how you should live your life? And she made this statement back to us and she said, I don't pay him to talk to me. I pay him to listen to me. And I just thought and still think, church, where are we? What are we doing? You have an incredible opportunity where God has put you with the people that he's put you. For some of you, you need to consider and listen to the Spirit of God. Maybe maybe God is leaning on you to call you out of your city or out of your state or out of this country. And if that's you, we have uh, incredible partnerships in places like Bush, Alaska, and places like Ethiopia. We have very strategic ministry in the world of foster care and adoption. We have incredible opportunities to serve prisoners with Mount Nebo Prison Ministry. You know, if we look at even things that are happening this morning in our world today, people are spreading the message, what, what their message with fear and hate. And what if the people of Jesus just stood up and said, you know what, we're going to spread our message with love and redemption. Church, Tim, Tim's been talking to us. He's saying, look, we want to we pray that this would be an extraordinary church. Not that we would just read about it and be like, man, that's so great for them. And then close the book. But that we'd really be leaning in, that we'd be praying, like, God, in our day, like, what you've done, would you do again in our day? That we would be an extraordinary church. And that has to start with us. We've we, we got to stop waiting around for extraordinary people or extraordinary opportunities to show up. Because what we're seeing here in Philip's story is that God wants to work now, today, through you, through me, through ordinary people. But that requires us submitting to an extraordinary God who has an extraordinary plan to use ordinary people and ordinary places to be announcers and ambassadors for his name and for his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you again for, uh, God, just a moment like this for us to gather together. God, to open your word, to make a loud noise to who you are. God, you know just um, all morning how uh, this has felt. Just weird for me, and, and in many ways, just kind of disingenuous because this is not a place that I have mastered by any means. There is have so much room for growth, and so God, I just pray for your grace and your mercy, and God, um, God, just your help in this area that I would grow in this area. God, I pray for us as a church that you would create opportunities for us to be bold, not only in our witness but also in our love for others. Jesus, help us to see people the way that you see and help us to care for people the way you have cared and loved them. God, help us to earn a platform in this city, in this state, in this country, maybe even in this world, God, to speak loudly the story of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.